Good afternoon or morning or whatever. It's uh, 1 o'clock, 1300 for you military types on 629-2023, uh, coming up on uh, 4th of July weekend. So, but the 4th of July is on a Tuesday, I believe, this year round. So, I guess I'm going to have to do my uh, celebrating on Saturday. Um, anyway, let's get into what's going on around uh, this space. And I want to start out quickly with um, some stuff that is showed up uh, like in person. I did an event. The reason I wasn't on last week was I did an event in New York with a bunch of folks. Um, thank you for Beyond Identity sponsoring that one. Uh, but it was kind of sad to be perfectly frank not the not the vendor side of it actually this time it was really it was sad because i was on a panel with a bunch of other folks and you know we were talking about cyber and whatever else and um the i just did what i think is the right thing and talked about the reality of the space and technology and zt and strategy and whatever else and um Afterwards, I had a whole bunch of people coming up and saying, oh, that's so great. I appreciate that somebody's willing to, you know, tell the truth and be honest about this and whatever else. And for a moment, I was like, cool, I'm glad to hear that people like what I have to say and think that it's valuable. But then I kind of felt my, you know, a, a punch in the gut because I was like, well, what does that say about the status of the market? What does that say about all the stuff that's going on in this space? If if people who are in New York City in financial organizations that have some of the largest budgets in the world uh, are getting, you know, they're fed a bunch of marketing bullshit and they're proud and they're happy when somebody comes up and actually tells the truth and breaks it down in a way that everyone can understand. That's a sad state of affairs for the market. Um, it was encouraging for me on a personal level because i appreciate anyone that's willing to take the time to say thanks but it was concerning at a big broad level because what uh what's going on like why are people glad and excited when someone actually tells the truth and what does that mean about the market if they're not just getting that every day Maybe things are so skewed, you know, um, uh, problem. But anyway, let's go forward from here. Uh, all right. So starting out with um, one of the things that came out uh, this week very recently. Um, this is on the Hacker News. The Chinese hackers, uh, this is June 26, uh, 2023. Uh, Chinese hackers using never-before-seen tactics for critical infrastructure attacks. And that's... That's the thing you should remember right there is those words, never before seen tactics. Now let's read through this and uh, you'll understand where I'm going here in a second. The newly discovered Chinese nation state actor known as Volt Typhoon has been observed to be active in the wild since at least mid 2020. Okay, so number one, don't tell me that nobody's paid attention to these folks since 2020, but let's go on from there. With the hacking crew linked to never before seen tradecraft, again, remember that term. The findings from CrowdStrike, which is tracking the adversary under the name Vanguard Panda. So I've said this before, I'll say it again. Here we are immediately back to shifting around names and coming up with some weird nomenclature and clusterfuck for who's doing what where. And how do you know that this is not a group that's already been shown up before when someone else is reporting that they called it 
I don't know, underground ninja basket weaver. Uh, the adversary consistently employed managed self-engine self-service plus exploits to gain initial access, followed by custom web shells for persistent access and living off the land techniques for lateral movement, CrowdStrike said. Now, here we go again. Volt Typhoon, also known as Bronze Silhouette, what the fuck, is a cyber espionage group from China that's been linked to network intrusion operations against the U.S. government, defense, and other critical infrastructure organizations. Now, that's one, two, three, four, five seven sentences and i've called this one threat group four different things um yeah the adversary has been known to leverage credentials so remember when i said earlier there was never before seen tactics but they're leveraging credentials which that's pretty much the thing and living off the land techniques aka lateral movement uh, and escalation of privileges to remain hidden and move quickly through target environments an analysis of the group's modus operandi has revealed its emphasis on operational security, carefully using an extensive set of open source tools against a limited number of victims to carry out long-term malicious acts. That sounds like every other APT in the history of APTs. Um, yeah, it's been further described as a group that favors web shells for persistence and relies on short bursts of activity primarily involving living off the land binaries to achieve its objectives. They targeted Zoho Manage Engine Active Directory Service Plus on Apache Tomcat servers to trigger an execution of suspicious commands pertaining to process enumeration, network connectivity, among others. Okay, I went because I have no life and looked up the last vulnerability stuff that was around for Apache Tomcat with that particular configuration and whatnot. It's been around for a while. Um, and when you read through the rest of this stuff, the web shells they're using, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, there are variations in the specifics of the quote tactics for those uh but it's the same stuff that's been done for forever on forever so number one problem is that you've got different organizations for the purposes of whatever i'm not really even sure if it's marketing anymore calling one threat group three or four or five different things in a span of seven sentences and it's being noted to the market hey this is first new super amazing hacker stuff no, it's not. It's the same stuff. Um, it's just slight variances. So what can you do? What could you possibly do to eliminate these super amazing, crazy new hacker tactics? Oh, like manage identity and access management, uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, network isolation, segmentation. I mean, the same stuff over and over and over again. Oh, patch your shit, like stuff like that, like crazy. It's it boggles the mind the uh the the way that you can you know deter and make your system harden wow it just it's super i i just like how do you deal with this you're fucking kidding me man um now moving forward from that so ars technica published this uh this was benj edwards and it was a uh, ai powered church service in germany draws a large crowd now, I'm not going to get into the religion stuff because that's almost sticky as politics, but just this is interesting, but also makes me ask some pretty fundamental philosophical questions. So on Friday, 300 people attended an experimental chat GPT powered church service at St. Paul's Church in the Bavarian town of Firth, Germany. The 40 minute sermon included text generated by OpenAI's chat GPT chatbot and delivered by avatars on a television screen above the altar. 
the chatbot initially personified as a bearded man with a fixed expression and monotone voice, so kind of like most pastors, addressed the audience by proclaiming, Dear friends, it's an honor for me to stand here today and preach to you as the first artificial intelligence at this year's convention of Protestants in Germany. The service took part of a convention called, I'm not going to try and say it because I'll screw it up, but it basically translates to German Evangelical Church Congress. Uh, an event held biannually in Germany that draws tens of thousands of attendees. Um, yeah, ninety-eight uh, percent of the content for this particular service came from a machine. In this case, the remaining two percent went a long way uh, because there was prompts that had to be given, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, here's where things get kind of weird. The sermon, which was led by, well, weirder, I guess, was led by computer-generated avatars of two men and two women focused on topics leaving the past behind, overcoming fear of death, and never losing faith. Okay, cool, encouraging, whatever. Uh, I told the artificial intelligence, I guess this is the person prompt doing the prompts, we are at a church congress, you are a preacher. What would a church service look like? Uh, the, the prompter asked for inclusion of psalms, prayers, and a blessing at the end. You ended up with a pretty solid church service. Now, I, I don't know about anyone listening to this, but I had never thought about using chat GPT or large language models to um, do religious services. And if you're able to do that with that level of efficacy, where, I mean, the, you can roll, put the article and the links to this at the end. Um, if you can do it with that level of efficacy, what does that say about the current status of preachers and holy people in their jobs or in their uh calling um does what's to stop this from going to the next stage of starting to let large language models kind of interpret at a human level the uh teachings of different religious texts um it, it's like there's a whole lot of really fundamental interesting questions that can come from this thing and i don't I'm not qualified to give the answers, but it uh, it, it definitely, I, I'm a kid that grew up going to church every Wednesday and Sunday, and I remember sitting there listening to the preacher or the priest doing their thing, and most of the time thinking, you know what, like, this could be done quicker, better, faster, um, and now we're starting to see that. Uh, if there's tens of thousands of people that went to this thing, and, they, and a lot of them may have attended this service, and they are preachers or priests or, you know, whatever. Um, how long do you think it's going to be before they go back to their parishes or wherever they go back to and start using these types of systems? And does that affect the influence that religion might have on people in some way, shape or form? Again, I don't think I'm qualified to answer those questions, but I think those are questions that should be asked because they're like we're. We're running kind of a razor's edge on some of this stuff. Um, there's, there's, religion's an important thing for lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people. So this could have societal implications. Uh, anyway, I thought it was interesting. Uh, in the realm of deep fakes and fake technology and whatever else, this was super cool, but also kind of disturbing too. So this was in Boom, uh, boomlive.in. Video game visuals peddled as Russian army fighting with Wagner rebels. So if you're not aware, um, about a week or so ago, there was kind of a pseudo coup that happened with the Wagner group and the Russian military and Putin Putin and all those folks and whatever else. And 
um, it turned into a, a pretty much a nothing burger. But what's funny is at the same time that, that occurred, if you look at the publication of these videos, and I'll throw the links in there like I do, uh, you can see that folks were taking video game, really well-crafted video game content and pushing it via social channels to get people to pay attention to what's going on on totally fake narratives. And when you look at these videos, uh, honestly, and I mean, I'm ex-military, I'm re you know retired chief, you, you have to really look carefully to note that this is not... Uh, not actual combat footage. Um, there's some of them where it's kind of goofy or whatever, and you can tell pretty quick, but I mean, the tags are there uh, on YouTube and whatever else that say Russia's elite air force versus Ukrainian SAM missiles. And then there's a video of it and it, it looks pretty dang good. Uh, it came from this game uh, from a Czech video game developer called Arma 3, which is, uh, combined arms military game set in a massive military sandbox. The game features terrains, 20 vehicles, 40 weapons, blah, blah, steam workshop integration, et cetera. Um, but I, I guess here's the thing. If you're, if you're in a combat scenario, which in combat things are constantly changing, uh, it's a very dynamic situation, and people are going to be looking to all sources of information to make their decisions, how hard is it to get this stuff to go viral? And if you note, when I posted the the, the link for this particular week's uh, live stream, I threw in a, a picture of a, uh, a cell phone bot farm type thing in, in Russia that was recently busted. How hard would it be to game that up and use bots and et cetera to push your narrative through and potentially affect what's going on on the battlefield? So if you can imagine, and I don't think this is beyond the realms of possibility, if you can imagine there's a conflict going on, probably regional in nature, and some folks take some really good video game footage like this stuff, and they throw it at a bot system, and they throw it at fake uh, influencers or whatever, and push it into an arena uh, where people are ingesting social content. You might vector troops, resources, and whatever to a situation or an area that is totally not even part of the conflict. And... I mean, ultimately, you've pulled a flim flam on uh, on whoever is engaged in that conflict. If you're not familiar, there was a uh, um, uh, World War II thing called Operation Mincemeat, where they did something similar, and they uh, basically made it look like a submarine was sunk prior to an invasion, and then it threw a whole bunch of logistics off and whatever. And uh, the U.S. did something similar before the Gulf War back in the 90s, where they landed a bunch of special operations troops in an area making Saddam think that that was where the invasion force was coming and we wound up going around and doing something totally different. So this type of thing is not unheard of, but now you're seeing the commoditization and the scaling of this type of stuff. Everybody everywhere on the planet can potentially affect what's going on in a kinetic operations realm. Um, that gets really interesting really quick when you when you think about the impacts of it. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, cause then your only option as a commander on the battlefield is cutting off comms. Um, now of course you've got your comms between units and whatever else, but I'm talking about cutting off those, those comms socially and there's issues there too. So questions to ask things to consider. Um, uh, if you're not familiar, uh,
uh, with Supreme Court, they recently made a decision uh, that was uh, interesting in nature, and this is uh, regarding cyber stalking, and this was just recently released, and it was a 7-2 decision. Uh, the article I'm reading is from Fast Company here. Uh, it's Izzy Lepowski. So Supreme Court guts protections for cyber stalking victims. And the, I, I read through the actual Supreme Court decisions about 30 something pages long. There's a whole lot of interesting angles in here. So let me just give you the breakdown. Um, the Supreme Court ruled Tuesday, as in two days ago, that in order to find someone guilty of making a quote, true threat, courts must first determine that the person recklessly disregarded the fact that their words might be perceived as threats. Experts fear the decision will create new hurdles for victims of cyber stalking by requiring them to first prove that their stalkers understand the consequences of their actions. Um, you know, that, that's interesting. So the Supreme Court has just decreed that stalking is free speech protected by First Amendment. The stalker genuinely believes his or her actions are non-threatening. Um, so the case came from this case where Counterman versus Colorado concerns a man named Billy Raymond Counterman, who was convicted under a Colorado anti-stalking law after he sent a barrage of threatening Facebook messages to a woman he'd never met. So dude is being a creep, sending a bunch of Facebook messages to some lady that I think she was a singer or something like that. In Colorado, the law didn't require the court to consider Counterman's mental state when he sent the messages. Okay, I read through some of the messages. I don't care what your mental state is. If you say things like, I'm going to kill you, that's enough for me not to really be concerned about how mentally fit you are. Um, matter of fact, if you're not mentally fit, it makes it even worse. Uh, the court only had to consider his behavior and how it was objectively received. Objectively received, okay. That is whether he repeatedly contacted, followed, or surveilled his target in a way that would cause a reasonable person distress. What reasonable person wouldn't be distressed if someone that you don't know is coming after you on social media and saying things like, I saw you at the store, or, and th this, this dude was saying stuff like this, I saw you at the store, uh, I think you're beautiful, um, if you don't get a hold of me, I'm going to kill you. Like, I would say a reasonable per person would be pretty fucking distressed. Now, Counterman was found guilty under that statute, but he appealed his conviction, arguing that his statements were protected by the First Amendment and did not constitute, quote, true threats. And this is where things get crazy, a category of speech that falls outside the bounds of the First Amendment because it wasn't his intention to threaten his target, even though literally he said things like, I'm going to kill you. In its decision, the Supreme Court overwhelmingly sided with Counterman. The state, Colorado, prosecuted that guy in accordance with an objective standard. It did not have to show any awareness on counterman's part of his statement's threatening character. The majority opinion written by liberal justice Elena Kagan reads, that is a violation of First Amendment. Uh, Kagan's opinion acknowledges there's a trade-off in this decision, but argues that the trade-off is necessary to protect free speech. It makes prosecution of otherwise proscribable and often dangerous communications harder, Kagan writes. But a subjective standard is still required for, quote, true threats, less prosecutions chill, interesting, too much protected non-threatening expressions. Hmm. So imagine, and here's a scenario from uh, one of the other Supreme Court justices. Imagine someone who threatens to bomb an airport. The speaker might well end up barred from the location in question for good reason. This is uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, yet after today, such orders cannot be obtained without proof, which is not easy to secure, 
that the person who issued the threat anticipated that it would elicit fear. Now, like again said before, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not anyone who should be, you know, respected in the context of understanding legality and all the jargons going on there. But I have kids, and I understand what a threat is. Um, and if someone makes a bomb threat against an airport, how in whatever name could you not think that they were going to cause fear? Um, uh, like this whole thing is so confusing and it doesn't make a lick of sense. Where, where does this not go sideways? Uh, honestly. Um, and I, I, I do, I think this, I think that this has been, uh, this is a great example of courts not understanding the intricacies and realities of the digital space and legalese and other stuff working its way in here to basically gut a protection that a person should have. Um, it's a problem. That's a, that's a real problem. That's an issue. So yeah, um, ask those questions. Why, why not? Uh, uh, there's also an article on the record uh, by Martin Matishik, I think, June 20th. New G DOJ unit will focus on prosecuting nation-state cybercrime. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice is adding a new section to its national security vision that will focus on prosecuting malicious foreign cyber activity. Uh, as the department seeks to aid, taking more active role in combating digital threats from outside the country. So hold on to that for a second because there's a couple things to consider. The NC will allow the division to increase the scale and speed of our disruption campaigns and prosecutions of nation-state cyber threats as well state-sponsored cyber criminals. Uh, the computer crime section of the department's criminal division will remain in place. The new national security cyber section will boast prosecutors who are positioned to act quickly as soon as the FBI or an intelligence community partner identifies a cyber-enabled threat, and we will be in a position to support investigations and disruption. So, um, so what this really means is that the DOJ is setting up another organization within the DOJ, which already has things that are set up to do some of this. So we're increasing another level of bureaucracy and funding and whatever else. And by the way, where will they get these people from? Because there's a whole issue there, but they're doing this so that they can act faster and enable and help their uh, intelligence community partners. Okay, great. But majority of apt because they specifically say apt threats I, I would say not the majority all apt threats are not national to the united states the doj has to tread a very careful line here because they don't have authority and they don't have the legal requirements to go outside of the united states um and i i, I know from personal experience when i was working at or at intelligence organizations when someone left the country, um, I was at FBI for a while, when someone left the country, you gotta go hands off for a whole bunch of reasons. Or if someone is coming in that is not a citizen of the United States from another country, you may not be able to hand them over in the FBI depending on what's going on. So there's a lot of things going on here and um, the question becomes, why is this necessary now? And what's the real value of all this uh why can't you just staff up some of that stuff within the organizations that are already there because uh, anytime you create another unit another capability another level whatever within any government structure funding 
people, bureaucracy, bullshit, like it just, it, it increases. So that one stuck out to me of like, like, well, what, what's, I don't exactly get the whole thing here. Um, and it cites that earlier this year, DOJ and FBI announced that they dismantled infrastructure of the notorious Hive ransomware group. Well, guess what? Hive is back already. Um, you didn't dismantle them. You interrupted their day. So you, you, you poked the hive more than took the hive down. Uh, again, I'll throw those links in there as well. Um, you know, so there you go. Uh, uh, Zscaler published their report, uh, and I'll throw this in there too, on the 2023 ransomware stuff that's going on. Um, and what's what I think, if you're up for it, if you have the time, is take the Bandy and M-Trends report, take Zscaler's ransomware report, take the Verizon DBRR, and compare all those and put them uh, put them together, right? And let me, I don't know why my camera's acting all weird, but I'm just as ugly as I was a minute ago. Hang on one second. I don't know, whatever. Let's see if this does something. I don't know, whatever, this is audio anyway. But, oh, there we go, back to full ugly. So uh, compare those and look at the statistics and data that is in those reports. And what you'll see is that there's clear trends uh, and there are very real data points that can be taken away. Like it's it, it, if I showed you a financial report or I showed anyone a financial report that said, seven out of ten times this thing leads to you making more money you'd be like sweet i'm gonna throw my money into that if i said seven out of ten times you lose money here you go i'm not putting my money in there if you look at those reports and i'm working on a paper to actually line this all up it's super clear where the problem lies in the industry for people that are buying technology and the way that the adversaries are going after them and we can continue to deny uh, and follow the marketing hype and whatever else about fucking AI and all this other whatever, or we can really vector in on what the adversary literally tells us works and do things that will disrupt their operational capabilities. Um, or we just continue chasing the hype and throwing more money down the drain and hoping eventually we've spent enough to get it right. I mean, that's, that's what it is. That's what's up. Um, if you look through this ransomware report, it shows you what's the most likely organizations to be targeted for ransomware. Bingo. I think manufacturing is number one. If you look through the Verizon DBIR, what's the most likely organization, organizational uh, or vertical to be targeted with this type of ransomware? Manufacturing. If you look at the Mandy and M trends, it says what's the most likely out. So the point I'm making is if if in any other space if you took in three to five to seven other uh you know organizational uh entities that had done data analytics on actual activity and put them into something with statistical metrics and people said well that doesn't make any sense to me girl you'd be laughed out of the room but here in cyber for some reason we look at all these reports and we take them in little bit pieces instead of looking at the collective and going, well, there's a problem with what's going on in the market here. Why if cyber continues to be the greatest area of growth in technology, statistically speaking, it is, it has a larger CAGR than other technology spaces and people are buying more stuff to be more secure. 
then the bad guys shouldn't be continuing to win with the same stuff they were doing for the last five to seven years that has been reported in multiple papers over time. If we had five reports from five different medical hospitals that all said, if you, I don't know, type the letter K on your computer 10,000 times, you're going to get a brain tumor. Everyone would remove the letter K from their keyboard. But in cyber, we're just going like, well, I don't know. Maybe if I just do it 9,999 times and skip and then go to the next, you know, 10,000, blah, blah, blah. It's just confounding. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll throw all the links into this when I'm done. Um, look it up. Make your own decisions. Think for yourself. Please, Jesus, think for yourself. Um, the space continues to, to change and adapt, which is good on some levels, but also is concerning on others. Um, I mean, are we seeing AI affect religion? Is AI becoming a new religion? Maybe. Um, there's been movies about that. It didn't work out well for everybody. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll also throw in the link to my uh, Patreon page, which again, 100% of all the stuff that goes there for $3 a month, which is a lot less than you pay for a uh, um, Starbucks coffee, goes to a, a charity at the end of the year. Um, so please, you know, if you can, help me support others. And uh, I'll also throw in a link for um, G2's software reviews, because if we're going to help others, the great way to do that is to review the software that we are using or know about so that other people can go in there and make decisions based on our current, um, you know, leveraging of that understanding. We do it for Yelp. Why would you not do it for software? If you can help me figure out a really good Mexican food place, can you not help me figure out which software is actually going to solve my problem? Um, it takes, you know, a few minutes. And I think if I'm correct, I think sometimes you get a, a, a gift card out of it. So who doesn't like free shit? Anyway, as always, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. Catch you on the next one. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter? No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.